0: Thanks so much. So appreciate it. you could be seated. You know, the thing that I love about Pastors Mark and Dean, Mark and Barb Dean, is that 25 years ago or more, we were talking about it when we first connected, that he had, they had one gear then, and that gear was authentic. I have so many memories of Chi Alphas, of SALT conferences, of youth conventions, other meetings, where Pastor Mark would be at the altar, or he'd be in the back, and he'd be walking and weeping. And I was telling my wife, you know, coming here is just when I think of the leadership of your glorious uh, district, and I think of my friend, I just think of a guy that I've seen weep over and over again, and I know that God can entrust people that have a heart where they could weep like that, and way before gen z as or millennials told us the value system of authenticity he was walking that out back in the day when we weren't kind of putting the ugly foot forward right we were just kind of trying to keep the posture And I love the fact that he would just be broken. He'd get in front of the youth or in front of college students or in front of adults. And he would just weep before the Lord. And he modeled something that he still models today. Man, thanks so much for inviting us, being a friend, being true. I truly love you, man. You're you're, you're amazing. And uh, oh, my God. We got such great friends here. I mean, uh, oh, my God. The Hagans, man. I mean, probably some of my longest friends or longest running friendship since I was saved. Man, and they are, they are amazing. I mean, I love them. Like, oh, man, I think one of the first times I ever spoke at a youth group, they invited me to speak at a youth group when they were youth pastors in the Grinnells. Man, so good to see you and many, many, many other people. My, my wife is here. She is proof that I've always, like, like, somehow, gotten favor in God's eyes. I've outkicked my coverage truly for God to give me such an amazing wife. She loves the Lord. She's the most Christ like person I know. You're going to get a chance to hear from her tomorrow, and you're going to find out who the better preacher is, like in the Smith household. Chris, if you stand up, let everybody see you as my wife, Krista, right here. Glorious, glorious. I want to jump right in this. You know, I did. I gave my life to Jesus Christ on a secular college campus. I will not put you through busting my entire testimony out, but uh, I was lost. I was lost, lost uh, when I came to the University of Pacific, and there were some unique circumstances that got me there. I, uh, I was born and raised in Oakland, California. I'm just finding out we're losing our baseball team, Scott. and I'm super sad about that, like uh, side note. But I grew up in this situation dysfunctional, the word dysfunctional, dis, not functional, working, not working. Uh, my dad and my mom they met each other at a, at a nightclub. Uh, my dad uh, got my mom pregnant, not, not married. He didn't want to become a husband. He didn't want to become a father. He recommended that my mom do something. My mom did not know the Lord at that time, and neither did my dad. So she's pregnant. since from my grandmother from Michigan Jeff. And so my grandma moved from Battle Creek, Michigan. She's pretty much raising me. She was from Dumas, Arkansas. Southern black grandmother raised me in a way that like Southern black grandmothers would raise you, right, I mean, yes sir, no ma'am, like you, you did not, cro- like I see kids today, they like, they'll be in a mall, they won't get the toy they want, they throw a fit, you know, and mommy will give them a talk, a timeout, or toys taken away. Uh, that was not in the ministry of my grandmother. Attempted murder was in the ministry of my grandmother. Her timeouts was the break she took after she got tired of whipping me with her right hand, and she would switch the switch to her left. That was my timeout. Grandma was ambidextrous, so it hurt just as much. But she had this thing. She was an alcoholic, but fast forward, because this is what I want to get to. When I'm a junior in high school, she goes to this small Pentecostal holiness storefront church around Lake Meriden, Oakland, California. Some precious women... I had invited her and she was the supermarket, Safeway supermarket shopping. They invited her. my grandmother, we didn't have a car at the time. She gets uh, on the bus, she goes to, over to Lake Merrick, the small storefront, Pentecostal Holiness Church. She walks forward, gives her life to Jesus Christ. My was immediately delivered from alcoholism, probably four decades deep into being an alcoholic. She comes back home, I come back from basketball practice, my grandma's breaking all her alcohol bottles and my grandma was already prophetic like or intuitive, but when she got baptized in the Holy Ghost, she's full-blown prophetess, Ethel Wynn, right? I'm coming, I'm looking at my grandmother sideways, as the kids would say, and my grandma knew where I was coming from. And she said, baby, grandma don't need to take 12 steps, grandma just not need to take one step. I gave my life to Jesus, he set me free. Well, this was in terms of old school evangelism techniques where I was birthed right, on the college campus. This was the first gospel track handed to me. What I skipped over is at nine years of age, five years of age, I met my dad. Nine years of age, my dad is murdered by policemen. They prove in court it's racially motivated. Happened in San Jose, California. Awards monies was given to myself, two half sisters. Now I'm tying all of, th- of this together. I have awards monies, about $20,000 was awarded from the San Jose Police Department to myself and my two half sisters. So I chose the University of Pacific My dad is murdered and dead. My grandmother is spirit-filled, tongue-talking, prophesying. My mom's lost and worked and just, just trying to make it a survival. I go to this school and I'm partying. I'm out from underneath this kind of moral expectation of my grandmother. I do what most college students do, like particularly on the West Coast, but I imagine that happens here in your state as well. I partied, I went for it, I tried every experimentation in the area of pleasure, of immorality. I mean, I, I felt like Song. I felt like Solomon in Ecclesiastes. And then one night I had a plan, and a plan, two parts of the plan were stupid, all right? One part of the plan was the genius of God. First part of the plan, Right, prong one. I'm gonna party like I never partied before, which I did. Third part, I'll tell you the second part in a second. The third part of the plan, and when I say plan, I had a plan, I don't mean I had an idea. Listen to me, family, I was gonna carry this out. I was gonna commit suicide. I knew exactly how I was gonna do it, it was dumb. No one around me would've understood. I did not fit the profile of a person. I'm getting a degree and has got my degree in computer engineering. I'm finally gonna become marketable. But the empty place you hit when you don't have Jesus and you come to the end of all the experimentations, but it's a gift from God to hit rock bottom if it takes hitting rock bottom to come in contact with the rock of ages. I did, that was plan three, prong three of my plan. One party, three, commit suicide. But number two, I promised my black grandma, I already told you about that for a reason, I promised my black grandmother I would call on her Jesus. She, at this point in time, had gone to be with the Lord. And so I I promised my grandmother that. I thought, i got to honor my grandmother. I'm going to call on her Jesus. I called on her Jesus. Now, it is completely viable, awesome. This miracle is still one that leaves me speechless. When Jesus shows up, you feel touched of the Lord. You feel something lift off you. Your life is changed, and you feel the presence of God. That is awesome, but I would short sell what happened that night to tell it to you like that. And that's what I told folks for a long time when I thought they think I was crazy. I said, Jesus, if you're real, I want to experience you. If you let me experience you, I'll give you everything. A little thereafter, Jesus shows up in my room. Now, let me stop. Put a punctuation mark, comma. I don't mean I felt his presence. I mean I see Jesus like I see you. I see one that the revela- revelator, the guy who wrote Revelations, let me say it right. He says, his eyes are like lightning, his face is like the sun shining. I saw the burning one, Jesus. I hear the audible voice of God. God speaks to you. If you've been listening to this, and we're about to go into John chapter 2, Jesus says to me, I'll be a father to the fatherless. Anyone old enough to appreciate the movie Jerry Maguire, you understand the phrase, you had me at hello. Jesus had me at I'll be a father to the fatherless. My characteristic sin was an orphan spirit. For Jesus to show up and not rebuke me for the party I came out of, but to say that he wanted to be a father to me, he had me. I got up the next morning. It was Julie Andrews and the sound of music, man. It was like the hills are alive. Skies are blue. I'm on a college campus. I knew this girl that was in my electrical engineering class. She was part of this group called Chi Alpha. She was my electrical engineering partner. She was super smart. that was part of the reason why I made sure she was my partner. She was inviting me out a week later. I'm here my campus pastor. Donnie Moore preaches this incredible message. I run forward to the altar. I'm weeping, and I smell this scent, and I felt the glory of the Lord. And actually that night that Jesus talked to me, I thought every night Jesus would come and talk to me like that. And he does talk, but it was a little bit different. But at that altar, I felt the glory. And then they told me about the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and some students prayed for me. And it was, I was one of those like, like left, I'm just not a loser, left brain, logical, analytical guys. So I just really began to read scripture and I just began to fast and pray. And God filled me with the Holy Ghost in my own apartment. I couldn't stop praying in tongues. I was immediately, we had this uh assembly of God church that a lot of the college students went to and they kind of sponsored the ministry. We went there Sunday nights, the power of God would show up. Every Bible study, every man time the church or any Christians got together, I couldn't help but want to be there. Because there was a supernatural power of God. There were miracles. There were deliverances. And I mean, it was almost like, it put the fear of God in you. When you see someone, uh, like, uh, you, guys, you guys are with me, right? All right. It, when you see someone coughing up something and you know, oh, wait a second. Like, they were totally fine a minute ago. And all of a sudden, the power of God is on them. This voice is coming out of them. They got some growlers in there. And you see them get set free. And, and what I'm saying, and the reason why I'm sharing this with you, this became the baseline of Christianity for me, that I understood without someone giving me the lecture what it meant to be Pentecostal, what it meant to encounter Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to move. I actually could not fathom, and, and I have such great respect for my evangelical brothers that are sensationalists, Right? Because I'm like, man, you love the Lord like that and you've not experienced the power of God? I'm impressed. And I, and I get it. There are different ways to experience. I'm not trying to make enemies right now. But when I saw that, I saw people go out into power. I saw, and man, let me tell you what, people would think, man, those college students, they're cerebral. They would be turned off by all that excess. Quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. Can I say it a third time? Quite the opposite. We were seeing college students saved by the scores. The intellectuals became the most radical Christians on our campus because I believe that every intellectual quietly, desperately desires an experience. They cannot wrap the gray cortex matter around. They want something transcendent. They want something of God. Before I met... And married my wife, my favorite kind of movies would be movies. In order to really engage me in a movie, you had to blow up something. You had to have car scenes, car chases. There had to be this incredible combat fighting going on. And then, thanks to my wife, I began to appreciate a genre of movies called rom-com. I'm actually going someplace with this. My favorite, and we're gonna read in John chapter 2, verse 1, so get ready. My favorite probably rom-com movie, and it's funny, because we just got back flying from Heathrow to JFK, and as we did, I actually took the time to watch this movie again, and it's the movie Hitch. In this movie Hitch, Will Smith is in this movie. Uh, One of my favorite uh, comedians, Kevin James, is in this. I actually am going someplace with this gang. And if you've seen the movie Hitch, Will Smith's character is a dating counselor, advisor. He coaches people. Kevin James is kind of an office nerd. He likes this girl that's out of his league. Her name is Allegra. I remember that because it sounds like some sort of pharmaceutical, right? She, as we would say, coming from Oakland, she was bougie. Uh, He was like not. And so he didn't think he had a chance. So he hires Hitch to get a chance to date the girl. And somehow it's starting to happen. She invites him to some sort of office bash where there's going to be dancing. Here is the scene. Best scene of the movie. Will Smith says, okay, you're going to dance, show me how you dance. Okay, if any of you seen the movie, right? He starts off lighting the fire. I don't know if you know the light, the fire. Then he goes from there and he goes to the Q-tip move, right, y'all remember the Q-tip? Then he's throwing the pizza move, right? And then, this is the joke within the joke to me. Will Smith slaps him. He goes whap, whap, right? It's not his first time. <laughs> And he says to him, if you've seen the movie you remember the scene. He says, "Don't ever do that again." He says, "Look at me." He says, "No, no," cuz Kevin James is starting to try to do, it. "No, stop." He says, "This is where you live." And he, you remember that? He does the classic two step. He says, "Okay, come on." He says, "Keep it between the elbows." And then they're showing an intersplicing scenes between that moment with Hitch, right? and Kevin James' character, and then they're fast-forwarding it till he's at the dance with Allegra, and when he's at the Allegra, he's just kind of trying to look disinterested. He's doing the two-step, and whenever she would turn around, he would just, like, bust out. I was watching that, and I felt like the Lord spoke to me. (laughs) I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, during the pandemic, the devil reached out and slapped the church. Remember Will Smith's slap hitch? It was a, this slap, that slap. It was kind of a get your attention slap versus the Chris Rock was probably a little bit different, okay? But he went slap, slap. I kind of feel like the devil came against pastors and leadership during COVID and he did the slap of the, of fear and release an incredible fear, and obviously there was a pandemic, there was disease, many people lost their lives, the tragedy that went wrong with COVID-19, and the endless stress, the adaptable energy that was exhausted over and over again. I felt like he slapped us with fear, and then the backhand came of offense. And I think of people that pastor churches, you're truly my heroes because you pastored and came through a season where you could not make everyone happy. How many of know? No matter what decision you made, there were people that didn't like and offense spilled back over in social media posts, Facebook, Instagram, people's side conversation, people leaving and trying to take other people with you. And I think in that, the enemy slapped the leadership particularly the leadership of Pentecostal, spirit-filled churches. And he slapped them this way with fear, slapped them that way with releasing offense, and he said, you keep your Christian church experience to this right here. You keep it between the elbows, because the enemy knows that if all of a sudden, we all, and if you understand the movie Hitch, he gets the girl by being how he was created to be. He was wild, he was funny, he was loose. And I think that right now God wants the North American Pentecostal movement to bust a move. I don't know how, how you bust a move, but I, I'm going to give it. I, I think this between here is over. It is not attractive. It will not win the loss. It will not get the devils off the shoulders of the young adults that are, and young couples that are walking into our services. We need the power of the Holy Ghost. We need to see a move of God. What did Asbury tell us? Asbury, thank you, fire. Asbury College told us. It told us. It was a prophetic invitation to what is available. And what it did is it was round-the-clock worship and Jesus-centered. No hype. It was, yeah, I don't know what all they had there. I just saw pictures I wasn't able to make it. But when I looked at it, it was in the face of everything we thought we had to do to draw the crowd and keep the people. It was off the clock. I think of that little invisible egg timer that sits on our pulpits that all of a sudden, not always am I aiming this as us leaders. Sometimes it's the appetite of the people in front of us, but sometimes we have something to contribute to that. There's this invisible egg timer that's on pulpits that you have this much time, and all of a sudden when that last bead of sand goes through, it's like it's checkout, and here's what I want to lovingly submit to you. I believe that invisible egg timer on our pulpits have unplugged more moves of God and revival than any devil can ever take credit for. Because a phrase I heard the Spirit of the Lord speak to my heart and he says, oh, there are certain lids that will only lift in the linger. When we begin to linger at the altars, we begin to linger in worship. We begin to go off script. Not off script, sure, but we need to go off script sometimes. We need Jesus to be able to call an audible. Do we? I, I get it. <laughs> My name is Sean Smith, and I am your friend. Okay, I just want you to know that. I wonder, can Jesus, can the Holy Ghost show up in our meetings and call an audible? I get having a program. I get, I understand the time. So we're going to do this song. It's going to be this offertory. Then we got the video now. So we got this and we got that. I get it. And that's going to be awesome. But can the Holy Spirit come and breathe and say, son, daughter, not this week. I want to move in power. I want to deliver somebody. Somebody's going to get set free. Someone came here that would commit suicide. And this is their last stop. And allowing one Holy Spirit deviation. I believe more can happen in a five-minute Holy Spirit deviation than five years. Give me one encounter with God, over 10,000 sermons, and I love the, the word. I love the preach word, but it is the encounter of God that's needed. And right now, this cannot be the Pentecostal movement in North America. This isn't the Pentecostal movement in Africa. This isn't the Pentecostal movement in South America. This cannot be our cadence. We gotta break out of the two-step, and come on, just touch somebody and say, it's time for the move, come on. It's time to bust a move, all right. As we're traveling, Mark, what are we seeing, Krista and I? We're seeing an unleashed Holy Spirit. I really believe that very much like Hezekiah's revival that when he sent out the letters to the captive tribes and the miracle was their captives let them go, so many people responded. If you remember in Hezekiah's revival, there wasn't enough sacrifices that provide the sacrifices for the Israelites coming out of captivity and there weren't enough pre-sanctified to handle it, which tells me this. This is the walk away. That sometimes maybe the hunger in the pew is greater than the assessment of it from the pulpit that Hezekiah knew people would come. He didn't know that there would be that level of hunger. He didn't know there would be that level of sacrifice. He didn't know. what happened? They didn't just uh, celebrate the Passover seven days. They celebrated 14 days. I believe the Spirit of the Lord says there's going to be extended meetings, extended prayer service, extended service. Maybe your service one bleeds into service two, that bleeds into service three. And wouldn't it be awesome if that happens and God goes off script to release something because I believe the great... Thank you, brother. I'm going to preach to you, bro. I feel like over the last 20 years that there have been methods and mentalities that passed a narrative to downsize Pentecost to all of a sudden do away with the altar and the altar call, to do away with the expression of the Holy Ghost in a way that it wouldn't offend someone or it wouldn't help someone. And I'm telling you right, the verdict on that is over. It's out. It's gone. You, you, <laughs> you, can't, you can't shut off the wind and quench the fire and still call it an upper room. If you shut off the wind, moving up the Holy Spirit, you quench the fire, the gifts and the power and that ability of God to touch and transform someone. And I know you, hey, you guys are doing this. I'm, I'm just trying to obey God and what I felt like God put in my heart. But you can't shut off the wind and quench the fire and call it an upper room or expect what happens in upper rooms to happen. And I think over the last 20 years, certain marketing mentalities and certain things have crept in. And I believe there's some good things that can be taken away from that. But I believe there can also come an overdependence on the programs to produce something only the presence of God can't. And I feel like we're in this point in time. You gotta go Holy Ghost or go home. We used to be in a hood and there was a phrase, don't bring that Kool-Aid to a gym party. <laughs> in other words, you gotta bring stronger drink to a generation that is burning crystals doing chakras, burning sage, all that kind of stuff, into all kind of Wiccan and all that, everything, and then we're going to give them a de-supernatural life. Let me tell you what, Pentecostal brothers and sisters, it is our moment. This is our time. The gifts of the Spirit are weapons for the harvest. The presence of God to allow an atmosphere to dominate the house that is an atmosphere that is a breakthrough spirit, not a business spirit. Now, no, know we got to do business, and this is no reference to all the business meetings that you guys have to do here. I'm not even backtracking. I get that. That's what happens. But when we turn our pulpits into running it as a CEO runs a business as opposed to allowing the God of breakthrough, Belperazine, David said, you're the Lord of the breakthrough. Then we're going to miss something. And there's a greater portion of the harvest is awaiting for our, our waking point. Here's what I say, and I've I got to read the scripture quickly. I believe that God is calling you and I to fight for a new reference point for an emerging generation. You and I can point to our reference points. That's why we're in ministry. That's why we're doing what we're doing. That's why you've made the sacrifice. You could have done a lot of things with your life. You could have made money. You had other opportunities. You chose the greater thing of saying yes to God because you had a reference point. I had a reference point in meetings where I saw people, literally a woman, an early meeting of a mentor of mine, a woman gets up out of a wheelchair. She had been there 10 years. Power of God hits her. She has a a shawl on her legs, drops off her legs. She begins to take steps. She begins to walk. She begins to run. The crowd went crazy. A great student friend of mine, Randy Sakuda, and I are in this meeting. We hit the floor bawling, bawling. And I couldn't, and I hope, I'm, I'm submitting this in all humility. I, I couldn't go to a dead service and that become the norm for me after that. Once you see that, like, no, 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 you had pointed maybe the way where our college students are do it and go, y'all are abnormal. No, no, you're abnormal. What I'm contending for is God's normal, and that looks like the book of Acts. That looks like the power of the Holy Ghost happening. Are you with me? Oh, come on, somebody. John 2, verse 1. It says, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and the disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, <laughs> what does your concern have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. Now, obviously, Jesus is not being disrespectful to his mom, but I do want to add this caveat. I think up to this point, because it's Jesus John would include seven signs. This is the beginning of Jesus' earthly, visible ministry. He said, I think there's a transition that Mary will always be mom, because I'm thinking you would say mom. I would say mom. No matter how old I got, my mom just went to be with the Lord in 2020. Uh, She was always mom. But here it's woman, and it was respectful. But I think there was a transition because we know of Jesus. He says, I'll only do that which I see the Father do. You can't mom me into this one. I can only do this if it's Holy Ghost. He's, he's pointing to a timing, and this is what I'm going to bring out. There was a timing. Why? Because Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. There are certain things that happen in certain seasons. But I'm going I'm I'm to push back on that same statement in just a minute. Stay with me. And his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of the purification of Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, he didn't know where it came from. Now, now get this line. But the servants who had drawn the water knew. What? I'll hit it again. But understand. They were told to fill the ceremonial Jewish washing pots with water. The word there was filled. It says that he told them to draw the water or draw it and bring it to the head waiter who would taste it and see if it was like wine ready for all the people and guests at the wedding. But notice it says when they drew the water. So what I'm saying is the miracle took place in the walk. When they drew, oh, y'all got to say it Come on, you to get with me. When he drew the water, so these dudes are taking a cup of water, and and when they're handing it to Mr., you know, you see in these cooking channels, these experts that could come in and they could either shut down your restaurant or make your restaurant the hottest thing in the area, and everybody would talk about it. This guy, as far as they know, they're handing him a cup of water. Highly illogical. Bad move. Culinary disaster. And the guy drinks it. And he goes crazy in that this guy who's obviously probably is in the first cup of wine, he's drunk. He has never tasted anything like it in this Jesus' first miracle. Now, a couple thoughts. Number one, I believe that God hid. I'm going to borrow Marvel Cinematic Universe talk here. He hit an Easter egg. That's the term for within a story that there are hints of something that points to something that is a, a greater uh, principle, which is what a sign is all about. To just do a miracle, these are the beginning of the signs. And right after that, let me tell you one last thing. I, I gotta, I'm getting ahead of myself. The guy says, okay, this is the best wine I've ever tasted. And in verse 11, this is the beginning of the signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, manifested his glory, and his disciples Believed in him. Time out. Jesus comes to a wedding with five disciples, scholars tell us. He will get seven more later. They're disciples who have already surrendered everything to follow Jesus, but it wasn't until after the wine moment that they believed. But it does make sense. Because many times we could be in the midst of ministry, we could be in the midst of following God, being in a place where God, we're in a yoke of discipleship, but we have new come to Jesus moments when we experience the glory. That the way they got there, let me read it again. It says, the beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Did they believe before? I would think so, right? But there's something about this that causes a new come-to-Jesus moment for the leaders of what would soon be the burgeoning new church. Just nod your head with me. Just Come on, you're making me feel bad. I had to get up early in the morning to fly from the West Coast and talk to you. all helping me. A couple of points I'm going to bring out. It's going to be quick. Number one, it's interesting to me. It's a sign that the first place he brings his disciples is to a wedding. Think about it. He didn't take them on a date. He took them to a wedding. Jesus doesn't want a fling. Jesus wants a ring. Hello, somebody. This whole thing is going to culminate in a wedding. Am I right? The Bible says the Spirit and the bride says come. Doesn't say the Spirit and the teacher say, say come. Doesn't say the Spirit and the worship leader say come. Doesn't say the, the, leader, uh, the, the groom, Jesus, and the church administrator. It says the Spirit and the bride says come. Because where this is all heading, and this is the thing I think God is speaking to us, God is about to bring back the romance of the gospel to get this love-struck look in the hearts of his leaders, because there's a generation that if they don't see that passion, that reality, that it isn't kind of something we do and we've gotten professional in doing, and I'm I'm guilty of that. As anyone, I, I I've done it enough where it's like, okay, you know, I, I could do this, and all of a sudden it dawns on me when I look out and I see the people that need Jesus, I see the the issues and the situations, much like yourself, and I, oh my God, I need Jesus. I can't help these people without Jesus, and I feel like this is what's going on. I feel like as I travel, there's a recalibration amongst leaders that have come out of the whole pandemic, and praise God, like, Lord, let us be out of that and out of that and not think about that. But for many, and I was just even reading some recent Barna statistics, there's still a majority of folks, or a lot of folks, I would just say a majority, up to a third of people who are with us pre-COVID are not with us now. And I'll just submit something to you. If I'm a nominal Christian, I'm not. If I'm a nominal Christian and all my church offered was kind of a reheated, predictable, you know what I'm saying, microwavable, cut and paste thing. Now, I'm I'm not trying to be mean-spirited at all. I am Sean Smith. I'm your friend. I love you. But if I'm a nominal Christian, I'm going to stay at home on my couch and sip a cappuccino and watch you. But if your worship is experiential, if your word carries the fire of God, if there is the presence of the Holy Ghost moving at the altar, I can't get that on my couch sipping my latte. Come on, somebody. I got to get down there and get in the room. I can't just watch that on TV. In some instances, it's on them. In some instances, maybe it's on us. I had a friend one time. And, you know, you, there's a glorious thing in getting, I was talking about this with Scott, there's a glorious thing about getting older. It's something about getting older sometimes you don't hem and haw, you just get right to the point. How many of you like that? I love that about older people, right? And I had a friend ask me, and he says, man, we're praying for open heavens, praying for open heavens, we want open heavens. He's a friend. And so I wouldn't do this in front of anyone else listening, and I just kind of put him aside, and I say, you, you want to open heavens, but you won't even open your altars. ha <laughs> I mean, come on, help me with this. I mean, I think a good start, if you want to open heaven, begin to open the altar so the heavens can begin to impact your people. Right? I think sometimes we say we want stuff, but we don't make room for the Holy Spirit to answer the very thing we say we want. Oh, oh, come on, Sean, preach that. Okay, I think I will. Amen. I'm convinced that the first commandment will be first again in his people. Jesus brought him to a wedding. I believe that the fire of God is going to be in awakened hearts of God's pastors and leaders. I believe that there's going to be an unceasing encounter of Jesus as a bridegroom to experience his burning heart again. You know, I, I, I think too many people are trying to function without authentic heart-burning connection with Jesus. And I don't know, I've been through a season. I, I've been through a season. Can I just be that honest? I've been through a season for a while. The Holy Spirit put me in check, and I was going through the motions. I was busy, and I thought a full calendar and a lot of activity was like the thing to do. And the Holy Spirit started dealing with me, and he says, a full calendar, there's no reward at the Bema seat for a full calendar. It's obedience. And what is the assignment of the Lord? What is the mandate that God has on you, right? I mean, we're picking up appointments but dropping mantles to pick up appointments. I'd rather pick up mantles and let the appointments be and fall where they might, but I don't want no mantles to fall on my watch. Oh, my God. Come on, somebody. (laughs) I believe for us to be successful as a fellowship we have to have a fierce and determined spirituality that is based in divine fascination and fervency. I believe God is calling us back to the banqueting table. He's bringing us back to the wedding. The love of God to woo you. You've got to know it and you've got to believe in it. Know it means you have to experience the love of God and that will bring the fire of God. The most lasting base fuel. I, I, I could get back in the day, I was calling of our cover. We would just get hype and we would just run out on Jesus hype. And I've since learned is discovering the heart that Jesus has for me and the world before me that becomes the greatest fuel to keep going when other times it'd be easy to quit. And how many of you know that right now, currently as we speak, more pastors are experiencing burnout. More pastorings are leaving the ministry right now. By the month, it changes month to month. But there's like way too many, and I get it. I, I, I man. I mean, sometimes that might be the Lord to take a break. But I think in some instances. The, the lack of connection with the heart would have been the fuel that could have kept you going than the dark seasons of what's going on around you. you I, I have mentored and still do. I mentor and disciple college students. Just got back uh, two weeks ago from the biggest Kafa in the United States of America, and I go there every year and love it. And we had a bunch of kids baptized in the Holy Spirit and get saved. love those students. I'll, just, I'll forget I'm old. I'll just stay up all night with these college students because they're so fiery. I love that stuff, right? talking to a guy about struggling in an area, and I began to realize, you know what? We don't need better sin avoidance techniques. What we need is a new vision of what God's heart is for us. The thing that pulled me out, I I was talking to this guy, so the thing that pulled me out of these areas wasn't all the things I was doing to kind of like, if I could just grit and disciple my way through it, and I'm big on discipleship, hear me, being in the Word, praying, yes, but I think some of it isn't about a sin avoidance technique, It is about getting back in touch with the Father's heart. Touch somebody and say, God's taking you to a wedding right now. We're going to a wedding. That's what this next move is going to look like. We're going to move from a Christianity of religious rituals to a holy obsession. We got too many Christians that make it to the meeting, but they don't make it to the heart of God. They begin to sing the song service, but they never connect to the heart of worship. And there's a depth that comes. And one of the things I think COVID did, and again, I, I, I'll be the first to admit there's some generalizations that if you take just the sound bite of what I'm saying, this doesn't apply to everyone, but some of them, their foundation wasn't deep enough that when they were exposed to that, their, their root system wasn't where it needed to be. And as a result of that, some of them we lost them. And I think this aspect of discipleship, I learned it in Kaifa, of not just being disciple, but making disciples. And if our call is to disciple nations, we got to get a bigger vision of what that looks like. And it's bigger than just the people that come in and sit. And you know this worship is more than a 20 minute service set. It is a total abandonment lifestyle. Jesus calls us to wedding. All right, now here it is. Wine at a wedding is so significant in the Jewish economy, right? I mean, first of all, their water wasn't that good. Okay, let's just be honest. Second of all, right, it was very much part of their tradition. Their fermentation process was different. But I'm not going to lie. You could get a buzz, as the kids would say, you could get your fade on drinking Jerusalem wine back in the day, right? It's evident that people, after they had, had a lot to drink, they would bring out the inferior wine. It was understood that if the wine ran out, it was a bad omen on the wedding. It meant it was a joyless wedding. It would be a bad blotch. Today, the dad of the bride covers the wedding, then it was the groom who was responsible. So scholars would believe, obviously, you guys have preached this, preached it better. Mary was probably related to the people, the groom in particular, of the wedding. So Mary's there. Jesus, five disciples are there. And all of a sudden, here's this phrase. I love it. It says, they ran out of wine. Now I was reading one commentary, and this one commentary said, it could divide a city because then you just didn't invite a couple people all of Cana could have showed up. You had to have wine and food, and it wasn't a four-hour Saturday afternoon deal. It could go a week, sometimes two weeks. So imagine the amount of wine and food, right? You think you have, okay. And so you're somehow three days into this thing. You run out of wine. Like, that was bad planning because I know the five new disciples didn't drink all that wine, right? Like, Like, you can't blame that on them. Something is not right here so they run out of wine. This could be embarrassment. This could have been Jerusalem TMZ. They could have broke out Hatfields and McCoys, man. This could have been Tupac and Biggie. I mean, okay, I'm, I'm trying to use all kinds of references. Probably doesn't apply to a lot of you here. That's all right. But what I'm saying is there could be a major riff over running out of wine. So Mary does what Mary does. There's something about Mary. Mary says, Jesus, they've run out of wine. And can I say something to you? We need to have Mary's in our life. We need somebody who can be honest enough with us to say, hey, you're running low on wine. There's something going on there, your joy, your passion, your prayer life, the, the things that are coming out of your mouth, the side comments, you, you're, you're running low on wine. You, do you have some Mary's in your life that can call you? i got a handful of folks and I'm grateful for them. Just put in a call to my weekly guy. I called Darwin, man. And, man, he's the kind of guy. I said, hey, Sean. I remember a time I was with Nick Garza, and I was doing a service for a friend of mine. I was just in a service doing the networks ministry thing for the state of Washington just a day ago. The friend of mine was there, and I was speaking for him in his church, and another buddy of mine, Nick Garza, and he says, the old Sean would have had three words of knowledge. You would have prayed. You would have prophesied. And I didn't realize how much I had come under you know, and, I, okay, you got to say this in a way. Let me say it right. I didn't realize I'd come under so much of, Sean, you're going to have 23 minutes, and we're going to have to get you out, and we're going to do this and that. And, and I get it, but then I don't get the part that you got the super long announcements, the super long other spaces in your service. You, 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 I, I get a friendship break, but you took a 12-minute friendship break, and you get the word 23 minutes? Like, you're going to have, you have, if you have a 23-minute service, you're going to create 23-minute Christians. And he said to me, Sean, the old Sean would have flowed by now. And I didn't realize how much I'd come under the expectation, or maybe I should say the non-expectation, of at that period of time, kind of because I think there was this, I'm just going to be straight, okay? I'm just going to be straight. That somehow, and I believe that God no doubt used some of the methodology that came through being sensitive to first-time visitors that come into our church. I'm an evangelist. Trust me. I live on that. But at the same time, I think the mentalities came through by people that do not espouse your theology, or let me be specific, your pneumatology, and without the understanding. And here's all I'm saying to that. like, Okay, Sean. It sounds like I'm throwing a big rock at a secret sensitive movement. But here's what I am saying. They're true to their revelation. you got to be true to yours. I see people, you experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit in teen camp. Come on. It was good enough for you. You got ignited on fire. You got the call of God. You had a vision of the Lord. Someone prayed over you and prophesied over you and laid hands on your power of God hit you. And you're going to deny the upcoming generation that in the name of a guy that doesn't believe like you, but he has a big conference and he got more buns in the seats. Okay, I'm just saying it now. Hey, <laughs> I get it. I want more buns in the seats. But let me just tell you, if more, getting more buns in the seats means I have less Holy Ghost, I'd rather go more Holy Ghost, less buns. Because at the end of the day, I believe we will have more buns when there's more Holy Ghost than otherwise. If you believe in it, I just need you to shout. I just need you to. Come on, worship team. <laughs> I know it's a scary question. Could I take about seven more minutes? Is that okay? Okay, all right, all right, I got permission. All right, thank you. We're in John 2. I believe it, the Lord spoke to me at the end, and what I mean by that is I just got a before the Lord who's asking God, 2023, God, what, what's going on? What you saying? What are you doing? My wife and I sit with a round table of people that are national and international intercessors and people that just hear the voice of God, prophetic folks and just kind of say, hey, what do we feel God's saying? We share it, and pray, and just, you know, we are able just to hear what we feel that God is saying. And I felt like God said, we're in John 2. Now, John 2, we see that in this, he's making wine, but he's also making a whip. He's flipping the flow, but he's flipping tables. I believe that we're in a, Making a whip, making a wine moment. This is the year that we're in right now. I believe in making a whip. What did Jesus do? He drove out the agenda that wasn't true to what the house was to be known for as a house of prayer. He drove out the money change, making a whip. I think we looked at the Epsteins and the Weinsteins, that would be Jeffrey and Harvey, right? And we saw their level of exposure. And I can say this because we're leaders. But you have to also know that if God is doing that, that puts the awe and the fear of God in me. Like, what areas of my life does God want to whip out of the house? What areas is God wanting to drive out in this season that does not connect with the higher purpose and the level, hear me, and I know I'm talking to Leah, I know who I'm talking to, trust me, the level of consecration. When the angel of the Lord said to Joshua, consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders, your level of consecration connects you to the level of wonders that God can release in your midst, because otherwise it's short-circuited, and so it wasn't just the wine scenes and the Epstein's, and I would never get up here and mention different men and women of God, because I, I don't want them to be locked in like that, I've done conferences with some of these guys, there's been exposés on these guys, I'm praying like any sports person. You see your guy, your teammate go down. You hurt when they go down. You want them to get back up. And that's what I want. Perfect timing. But I think he's making a whip. And I think part of it is God is bringing the awe of God. And this is what I'm seeing. We're seeing the awe of God come back to the house. And I for one like that. We need the awe of God. My campus pastor, he words of knowledge and call out folks in. All right. I don't know how 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that was, but maybe it was more 1 Corinthians chapter 14 than we knew. But you know what it did to me? I'd stand outside the Z building at the University of Pacific a Chem Lab, and I would repent of all my sins before I walked in the meeting. And my chemist pastor wouldn't call out in front of everyone on the mic. He'd call you down towards whispering in your ear. Guys would shake, and he'd fall on the ground. We'd go, oh, my God, he got Johnny. Oh, man, who's next? Donnie Moore. But I wouldn't trade that for nothing. They put the fear of God in my heart. Put the awe of God to check my heart before I walked into God's service. And for that matter, when I'd get up out of my prayer time, and when i do anything for God, God, search me oh God. I don't trust my own ability. I'm not trying to make this some sort of introspective kind of thing where everything's wrong, but I think that we've gotten a little glib and a little loose in some areas that if we're going to call them into righteousness, it's got to begin in the pulpit again. Right? Mary was honest. She said, you run out of wine. Let's just get honest. We run out of wine. If our service are more like entertainment and, and, and we're creating an audience more than we're creating an army, we're running low on wine, right? 1914, Hot Springs, Arkansas, 120. That was the number that I got of people that formed the fellowship of the Assemblies of God. They were volcanoes and laser beams of glory. They were okay with being on the other side of the tracks. They had tasted Azusa Street, which was the update. You know how you can get updates on your apps, on your iPhone. They were getting an update from Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. And they were all right with being wherever God had them. And the power of God showed up and showed off wherever they... And when they spoke, heaven heard their voice and hell feared their voice and the world around them know, since their fire, and, and the assemblies begin. And I was reading, these, these people had such a heart to reach world, uh, mission reach the world through missions, and it's happening. And I feel like there's a whole other wave. Now let me stop and say this because we're almost done. I believe the greatest ingathering of souls the nations of the world has ever seen is is on. I believe the greatest signs and wonders era the church has ever seen is on. I'm telling you right now, don't believe the narrative. I don't care if it's CNN, MSNBC, Yave, and Fox News. Let me tell you what, there is a Bible. Come on, somebody. I'd rather listen to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John than Joe Rogan's experience. Come on, somebody. I want Jesus' experience. All the more, I think they want to hear from the Word of God. The day is over of TED Talks. We need Jesus' walks. We need the power of God to show up. We've got to have this. Oh, oh, man no time for entertainment Christianity. Why? Because a demon-possessed culture needs a church that can cast out devils. When I first got saved, we saw a lot of deliverances. And I'm telling you, as we're traveling, Pastor Mark, there's a lot more deliverances. And you know what I'm finding out? There's a generation that didn't know what to do. And all right, I believe in biblical counseling. At times in my life, I've gone through biblical counseling. Very valuable. Very valuable. Hear that. But you can't counsel out what has to be cast out, okay? Cast it out, then you get your counseling, or maybe counseling to the point. But sometimes there comes a point where Jesus demonstrates there's got to be a power encounter. So if there's a demon possessed culture, they need a church with power. A church, a, a, a culture reeling with unimaginable addictions, need a fire baptized church that knows what it's like. We cannot be ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the only thing that works. It's the power of God unto so salvation. All right, two final things, we're done. I love Super Bowls. I love big major sporting contests and competing. I grew up playing a lot of sports and still my kids, our, our sons both played at Cal. Spencer, scholarship football player. My son Brandon was scholarship basketball player at Cal. Uh, love it. Years ago, it was the Super Bowl, and, and a couple things fascinated me about Super Bowl. Obviously, the game itself. The other thing, although I think it's been lean in recent years, is halftime entertainment. But the other thing is commercials, because I'm fascinated understanding that billions of dollars were paid for like a 30-second-minute spot by advertisers that also played the best of the best who understand human Draw, marketing, behavior, what attracts people, what catches the eye, the stickiness factor. So, I'm kind of, as a communicator, a person that studies communication, I'm kind of saying, what is it that they're saying of people? Now, this is a commercial, it's back a little bit, but it is so right now at the same time because these guys are ahead of it. It's an overcast day. Come on, Minneapolis. It's raining. And a guy comes out, and he looks like totally down on to his lip, bumming. And he kind of his lip is out, and a little bit of rain hits his lip, and he tastes it. And his face lights up. And then he sticks his tongue out. And he sticks his tongue out again. He's trying to capture all the rainwater. And then here comes the line. And unfortunately, some of the most creative commercials are the beer commercials. He goes, it's raining Beer! All of a sudden, someone else hears it, and they run around, and they're all sticking their tongue out. And one, one joker, he grabs a big old bucket, and he goes by, rain-like gutter. And he's trying to catch, oh, and he thinks he's now the evangelist. I'm going to tell everyone, it's raining beer. This stuff we love is coming down freely. And so he runs everywhere. He's telling people, but then he runs into this tavern. And he runs into the tavern. There's a guy pouring actual, I don't know if you'd call it 100% proof, but let's just call it That. proof, real beer, and then obviously the product placement of whatever the beer is. And the guy has this sheepish look. I remember the inner city dogs, before they had all these leash laws, dogs just roamed like inner cities, like wild pack of animals, right? And they would chase cars, and all of a sudden, a car would stop, and the dog never thought, what would I do if I actually caught a car? So a dog would just look stupid and tell between his legs and kind of walk. This is the look of his dude. Like, he's seeing what real beer is. And the end of the commercial, fade to black, the beer. And all of a sudden, I was thinking about this and I felt the Lord said, the principle of the commercial, though they didn't communicate it in the overt way, but it was highly communicated in the intuitive, suggestive way, is that, You have been consuming the substitutes too long that it's altered your taste and lowered your standard. You've allowed the substitutes to now become your norm to where rainy water is now beer until you run into a tavern and find out, no, 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 this is what this moment is. Now I do close. Here we go. Jesus tells Mary, they run out of wine, and have we not, in some instances, run out of wine when we have to entertain folks. When there's no talk of repentance, a literal hell, a literal devil, you got to fight spiritual warfare. It isn't just about, I'm just going to say it, hashtag your best life now. Although I believe God will give you your best life, I believe it's about the resurrected life. I believe it's about pick up your cross and deny yourself. The, like, like unique aspects of the gospel is being laid on and it's affecting a generation. And Mary says, they run out of wine. But let me tell you something. It isn't until you can admit you run out that you can run into it. Sometimes you got to run out of something before you can run into something. Come on, somebody. Here, here's where it is. All revivals began because someone says, and this is what I sense, there's a level of frustration that, God, there must be more. Now, here is the Easter egg. I alluded to it, earlier, I'm going to break it down. Here is the awesome thing. Church history. In Jewish weddings, according to this guy, you would serve the best wine. After a while, people would consume it. It could pass around. You begin to add equal parts water, so it's watered-down wine, and now you begin to kind of fade out, and it ends on the watered-down wine. With one exception, in this story, Jesus interjects himself, and the natural law of entropy, if you will, things left to himself reduced to more chaotic disorder. Jesus interjects and what looked like it was going to be the worst wine ever becomes the best wine ever. And I believe it's a picture of what the church is without these moments where all of a sudden we recalibrate. We allow Jesus to come forward. After a while, It was the glory days. Remember that, brother? Remember back in our coffee? Remember back when we were at North Central? Remember back when, man, we started in many. Bless God. Remember we led all those people to the Lord? We were radical. We walked up in that bar. We witnessed. And then over a period of time, right, your testimony kind of changes. And I'm just going to say this about me. I love those old stories. But I don't want to just recount an old story as if by retelling it, I can have that present glory now. There's an experience that that was meant to launch me into. And so somehow I have to have a new Jesus moment where like these disciples, they believe. They had a new come to Jesus moment. Jesus said, hey, man, go fill it full of water. Oh, man, so many places I could go, but I have to wind this down. But I love it. These disciples went and filled it full of wine. Why? Because the level of water, excuse me, they had to go get water. The level of water you present Jesus, the level of wine you'll have at the end. They would put two cups of water in there. They had two cups of wine. People would have still been mad. They filled up six of these 20 to 30, 180 gallons. And I love this because in that, Mary had said, Jesus, he ran out of wine. He said, woman, it's not my time. You would think if you're married, you ain't getting a miracle. That was a reject, girl. But I'll submit something. This is a Sean thought, and then we're going to bow our heads. I believe that what Mary did next is an indication on why the miracle did take place. She goes to the disciples or their servants, particularly disciples, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And can I submit something to you? She created an atmosphere of expectation, and expectation accelerates the timeline of heaven. I don't know that I could prove it, but I kind of strongly believe in. I believe I could. Could it be that a revival that was slated to come in 2024 could come in 2023 for your church? I'm, I'm not talking about a corporate, national, big thing. I'm talking about your church. Could it be that a move of God that was slated for next year could come this year because there's an atmosphere of expectancy in the house that accelerates the timeline of God? I believe the opposite works, right? A lack of expectancy slows down. W.J. Seymour said 100 years after his death or greater than the Azusa Street would happen. We're beyond 100-year mark. Was he a false prophet? No. I think unbelief has slowed down and lack of expectation slowed down the, the timeline. Man, Smith Wigglesworth wept over Lester Summerall. And he says, son, and he's in his gruff British voice, the miracles I saw and the things. And this dude brought Pentecost to New Zealand. He impacted Australia. He impacted UK, United States. You've been around Pentecost. You know, man, this dude was amazing. And he wept over and he said, you will live to see the beginnings of that move. Brother Summerall went to be with the Lord. Was Smith Wigglesworth a false prophet? Or... Has it been that maybe we've not presented heaven with enough partnership and expectancy for a fresh outpouring? Could it be that we, Sean Smith, has slowed down to a certain extent a timeline of what God wants to do in the Bay Area where I live? I don't know, but I tell you this. There is a a switch inside of me that goes on when I read this. And I go, if Mary can get that miracle then... I need to get honest and say, Lord, the wine's run out in me. And the wine has run out in my ministry. The wine is running out. If running out of wine gets you, to, let me just say this. No wedding Jesus is at ends on bad wine. Jesus saves the best moves for last. And I, I love the moment where all of a sudden these dudes this is us preaching the gospel, this is us getting missions out. We look like we're just getting water to somebody. And they drink that out of your obedience and Mary's expectancy. All of a sudden, it's the best wine. And his dude says, wait, time out. Everyone else waits till everyone's drunk. They begin with the Napa Valley 2008, and they end with the Boone Farm. But you flipped it. You began with the Boone's Farm, but you end with Napa Valley 2008. Best wine. And I believe it's a statement of what God is about to do in his nation. I believe Asbury was a prophetic invitation. And I believe the popularity and success of the Jesus Revolution is a prophetic declaration. And I believe it's no coincidence. No coincidences in the Bible. No coincidences in the kingdom. Coincidences, one man of God says, is the language of heaven. And I really believe that it's our time. It's your time. Jesus, we just pray, God, right now, Father, Lord, that you would just cause us, first of all, to just acknowledge, Lord, no more wineless weddings, God. Lord, we don't want to be at any more wineless weddings. Lord, we need those people that will be honest with us. And maybe this could be a moment for someone to just say, you know what, my prayer life, my word life, man, I, I, kind, of, I kind of coasted a little bit. And, and, and I think we all do that. I know I've done it in my life. I'm guilty as perhaps anyone in this room. But then there's those wake-up moments where you go from coasting to hosting a new move of God. And it's that moment when you recognize we run out of wine. Let's just call it what it is. Let's not pretty it up. Let's not dance. Let's just let's not blame COVID. Let's not blame any of that stuff. If anything, COVID, I'm not saying God sent the disease, but it was a gift of reset, a reprioritization and an ability to to, if you will, reinvent ourselves that, hey, some of them folks left, so we don't have to try to please them no more. We're just going to go Holy Ghost. We're going to be Pentecostal now. We're not going to apologize for that. And, Lord, we need heaven to fall in our services afresh. I'm convinced that we'll never improve upon allowing people to encounter Holy Spirit, the power and presence of Almighty God, the miracles and the gifts of the Spirit, The thing that God has started is the thing that will take us home. And the best move is yet what they could not see in 1914, we will see in 2023, 2024. And Lord, I just pray, Father, that, Lord, right now, God, just in our hearts, it's it's hard to say it, but maybe it isn't. I've had many of them. This is a new come to Jesus moment for us. Lord, we believe in a new way. God, restore to us the freshness. God, bring joy back, God. Lord, I just break burn off off of your mighty men and women of God, the heroes of faith in this room. God, discouragement. I I, I, I feel, <clears throat> and allow me to say, it, I feel like there's even a level of witchcraft that's come against this group. Yeah, the hexes and the curse of the witch, but that not as much as the charismatic witchcraft of people that have been in our midst that walk and speak things in a a passing and not understanding they're walking uh, under the impetus of of a demonic spirit but I thank you God that the answer to divination is dunamis power that God as we walk in the Holy Ghost dynamite explosive miracle working power of God and we walk in righteousness a curse wrongfully placed cannot alight that we don't have to worry about what the devil's doing because what God did for us is greater than whatever they could do to us. Father, let new wine fall. Lord, you spoke to me and said you're not going to pour post COVID-19 new wine into pre-COVID-19 old wine skins. Lord, what is the new wine skin we're to present in this season? Lord, we want to present it and I believe it begins in our hearts. It's more than a program, it's our hearts worship team if you guys would just just play.